You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. I'm Helen Farmer and this is Farmer's Kitchen. On today's episode, we are meeting the makers. Speaking to the exec chef of a newly launched Honeycomb Hi-Fi, it's there in Business Bay, but what's on the menu? This is a man who is an authority on yakitori chicken, hoping that makes an appearance. We met one man who's turned his passion of fermentation, yes, into a reality. How spicy and how do you do it? Plus that mind-gut connection. We had the incredible Solomon Haddad from Moonrise joining us, talking us through his background, his nostalgia, his storytelling, and of course, what's on the menu at one of Dubai's most in-demand and innovative restaurants. Talking sustainability with Chef Russell and Piazza, who's been recently crowned a sustainability champion. What does that mean for what happens in the kitchens there at Sofitel Dubai, the obelisk? And of course, what's on our plates too? And we had food bloggers sharing their dishes using legumes from Europe. Prepare to feel very hungry indeed. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Now, every so often, um, a, a name key seems to kind of float around the ether of the foodie community here in Dubai. And we're speaking to the man behind one of those such names. Honeycomb Hi-Fi recently launched and so many of my foodie friends are going... It completely blew me away. I don't know what I was expecting, but the food was amazing. So we, of course, have to get executive chef uh, chef Matt on the phone. Matt, thank you. You're in Dubai. You can't be in the studio this afternoon, but really appreciate your time. How are you, sir? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having us. A pleasure. So I've heard you're the authority on yakitori chicken, executive chef at that recently launched Honeycomb Hi-Fi. Where are you from originally, Matt? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, very far away from of sunny Dubai. I do now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And everything else I do. Tell us a little bit about getting into food then. When did that passion start for you? I started cooking like and working in kitchens when I was about 15. Um, I was working, actually my first restaurant was an uh, Indian restaurant. It was next to a skateboard shop that I was working at already. Um, I used to go there for lunch all the time and just kind of was interested in how to make these what seemed like very uh, intricate flavors. You know, everything mm. was so seemed so complex. Um, so I just kind of applied for a job one day and then that's where it started. What did kind of success look like back then? What were your big career goals in the food industry and, and has that changed over the years? Uh I've never been that goal oriented, to be honest. I've always just kind of, I, I just want to, I wanted to learn. I think that was the biggest thing for me. It was always taking different jobs and working in different places and having the opportunity to travel and just learning. That was for me what I saw as, you know, my goal. Let's talk travel. So from Canada, now Dubai, you're also the co-owner, exec chef of Yardburg, running and Sunday's Grocery in Hong Kong. Are you someone that very much plans your vacation time around what you're going to eat? Honestly, no. What? Yeah. I mean, I spend my whole life in restaurants. Um, <laughs> and, and a lot of the time, being in restaurants feels like, you know, it's stressful. It's work. It, I see things... I think I walk into a restaurant and I see things very differently than mm-hmm. most people do. Mm-hmm. And it's not relaxing, you know. Um, so the, the restaurants I do find relaxing are like super casual, um, nothing with any sort of kind of concept, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm more interested in places that just focus on delicious food uh, and that are accessible. Yeah, not really 
like of course when I travel I love to eat but it's it's not why I'm traveling to somewhere that's interesting so it's it's a bit of a what my dad would call like a busman's holiday like not not really relaxing to be going into other restaurants because as you say it must be really hard to switch off to not be like engaging in what I used to work in magazines and it completely ruined reading magazines for me because I'd be you know flicking through the pages and being like that spacing's off or I would have phrased it like this or you know the, the proportions were wrong and it it was yeah, you kind of got too close to be able to actually enjoy it. Um, I want to ask then, why Dubai? As I said, you've got this really strong relationship in Hong Kong. What did you identify about Dubai that you thought Honeycomb Hi-Fi would actually do really, really well? I mean, I had no idea about anything about Dubai. Um, it was more the people that I'm working with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, KD, Varun and Serge, uh, who I've known for probably about five or six years. Um, but I used to live across the street from one of his main restaurants in New York uh, and always kind of was just enthralled in what he did. And then when I met Varun and KD and we just got along and I think we saw, we see things very similarly. Mm-hmm. And I think that what's happening in these restaurants, in their restaurants are, it's kind of the anti Dubai restaurant in, in a sense. It's small, it's intimate. We're not, we're not trying to do more than what we can. You know, I think that like the, it's honest. There's not um, no big show. Uh, we're just, you know, we're, we're focused on quality. And that's it. I mean, that's kind of what I've always believed in. I, I don't want to do, I'm not, I don't think more is always more. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm interested. I like, I like having this, this control and, and focus. And I think that these guys have the same uh, ethic as I do. Sounds really refreshing. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's Eat Well, Live Well. Matt Abigail with us, the authority on yakitori chicken, executive chef at the recently launched Honeycomb Hi-Fi, is in Dubai for just a few days and joins us live. As I said, Matt, I've heard from lots of foodie friends who are kind of professionals but also just love eating about just how fantastic the food is. And not just that, but how good the vibe is and the music. What is the relationship to your mind between good music and, and good food? What's what's on in the kitchen normally? Um, I mean, well, the relationship is huge. I think it's it's something that is universal to make people feel good is food and music, obviously. Um, I think energy in a restaurant does a lot for the way that people taste things and kind of you know, think about food and think about where they are. Mm-hmm. So that's that's really important. I think lighting also is a huge thing, and that's something that these guys have done really, really well. So that the lighting, the music is all, you know, really dialed in, the acoustics, and then... And the food's the food's not bad too. The food's not bad. All right, I want you to make us hungry, chef. Tell us a little bit about the menu and how it's come how it's come together. What are some of the big hits? What are some of the big hits? Some surprise ones like uh, there's a sunamono, which is like a vinegared, kind of like a traditional seaweed salad, but not one of these ones that has just like that neon colored mm-hmm. uh, seaweed. This is, a sunamono is, is a vinegar dish, so usually most traditional. Japanese meals would start with that. That's uh, with wakame, uh, lightly pickled cucumber, a ginger vinaigrette, uh, miyoga, which is a ginger bud. Um, Super fresh. Then. And yeah, really, really fresh, cold, uh, and and just like really like kind of wakes up your palate. Very healthy. Can we talk chicken? Because I, as I said, you, I've heard you've even written a book on on the topic. Tell us a little bit about any chicken dishes there at Honeycomb Hi-Fi. We have four chicken dishes on Honeycomb Hi-Fi. Not like my restaurant where it's 
98% chicken. <laughs> um, but uh, so we have a chicken wing that's been stuffed with uh, mochi rice and then steamed and fried. Um, that's kind of a take on, there's lots of different cultures that do stuffed chicken wings. The Japanese do it a lot of time with, with meat, they'll stuff it. Um, Thais do it, Chinese do it. Everybody kind of has their own version. Uh, and that one's a fun one. Um, we do a chicken karage, which is like a classic uh, Japanese-style fried chicken. Uh, very common all over Japan uh, and now all over the world, I think. I mean, fried chicken is also everywhere, but this is the Japanese version. We serve that with a roasted garlic and a smoked soy kewpie. Mm. This is Japanese mayonnaise. <clears throat> we do a shishito pepper that's stuffed with a chicken mince, tsukane. So like a chicken meatball stuffed inside of a inside of a shishito pepper, and then that's grilled with tare and a little bit of shichimi, and then we also have a chicken bicep. So this is a the other side of the chicken wing. So you have the drumette, uh, which we debone and then we you know put onto a, uh, a skewer, same skewers that I use out in Hong Kong, uh, which are custom made for me, and then we grill those over binchota and charcoal, wow. uh, which we've also imported here to Dubai for us. God, that sounds so... My mouth was actually watering, so you've very much done your job. When it comes to you travelling then, are there any things that you will not travel without in terms of knives or anything that makes you feel at home in the kitchen, Chef? Well, if I'm working, I always bring my knives. Um, Yeah, for sure, I bring my knives. Uh, And if I'm not working, I try to leave my knives at home. It's a a little bit... uh, you know, suspicious when I when I always bring knives. <laughs> knives on the in customs. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what has reception been like then? As I said, I'm hearing an awful lot. Um, what's it been like to see people enjoying the concept in person? I mean, from it's great. I think I think that it's just really a unique place here because of the size, because mm. of the atmosphere, and I think also because of the way that we we're cooking. We're really trying to cook things without pretension you know there's no gold dust on things we're not we're not uh, putting caviar and toro and uni on everything it, it's trying to just cook really honest delicious food with mm-hmm. great quality ingredients but not just you know luxuriate everything so i think that people we have we seem to have a lot of regular customers people coming back and i think that's just because it we can you know provide an experience that's not just for a special occasion, you know, it's for, it's for a good time and just come and hang out. And so that's what I've always wanted to create in a restaurant. I think we've done just that here. So I'm happy. Um, message from Jess saying, where is it? Honeycomb Hi-Fi is in the Pullman uh, Dubai downtown, which I have to say it's become a bit of a, a, Second a, floor. a, bit of a foodie hub. Yeah, you've got some, you've got some great neighbors there. Um, so where's next for you? Where are you jetting off to after Dubai? Uh, I'm going to go home. Uh, back to Hong Kong and then, yeah, hang out for a bit. And then I'm going to Japan in June, go run around the southern part of Japan and, uh, you know, just go back and forth. I'll probably be back out here again in September. So Come after the summer. I think that would be a good, a good move. Um, we'll keep the heat yeah. in the kitchen. Um, chef, thank you so much for your time. I know Friday's thank a hectic you. for Chef, so really do value it. And it's great to get a recommendation here from you. I have to say, menu looks phenomenal. Um, the, I've heard great things about the sounds as well. You've got, you mean, the vinyl, you've got Saint-Germain, you've got Herbie Hancock, you've got, it just looks absolutely amazing. So I'm adding it to my must-go list. Chef Matt, really appreciate it. If you want details, you can find out.
out more at honeycombhifi.com. This is Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. We love introducing you to the chefs and the tastemakers, and it is definitely a bit of spice we're bringing you now. Six months ago, Mahal Tabshi turned his passion into a reality and opened Tab Chili. It's a unique concept because it only sells one type of product fermented foods. And you brought some in. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm a little bit nervous to try your products, to be honest. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did your love, this is never a sentence I thought I'd say, where did your love of fermentation come from? So um, fermentation or preservation is kind of really old school. It goes back to many thousand years and you have it in every single household from your mother or grandmother. It was used to actually preserve vegetables over seasons, mm-hmm. right? So I looked at from my mother, my grandmother, even my culture, every culture has one. And it's something that you grow up with and you like seeing. But what people don't know is actually fermented food break many different beneficial bacteria, which are important for the gut. Do you know what? We were, we were speaking recently about that mind-gut connection, about the microbiome in your gut. Correct. And there seems to be more and more evidence about, about exactly that, fermented foods, whether that is you know, some kombucha or fermented kind of dairy and yogurt. Correct. Really, why? I, I still not really understand the, what actually happens in our gut when we have these foods and why it can ultimately even make us happier. Yeah. So uh, I'm not a scientist to really explain what what means, but I'm going to explain in simple terms. So you got something called prebiotics and probiotics. Prebiotics are actually the vegetables that you eat to feed the probiotics, which are the gut uh, bacteria in your gut. So like vegetables, artichoke, bananas, you eat those to feed those bacteria. But probiotics are actually those bacteria that are beneficial for you in your gut. And you can find them as well in fermented foods like kimchi, kombucha, even my product, tap chili. So everything is about really promoting the health of your gut because it acts as your second brain. It's one thing to have a thing for, yeah, as you're saying, kind of the tradition. It's another thing to start doing it yourself. Was this a bit of a lockdown project? So... um, before, of course, it was kind of a lockdown project because I used to travel a lot. I used to work in Latin America and in India. I was always on a plane in Europe. I never really had time to really stop and think. And when it was lockdown, I started fermenting for a long time. I like fermenting for one week, two months, and six months, and I love chili. So I started fermenting chili. And as you know, like when you have one jar, two jars, and 10 jars, and 20 jars in the kitchen, <laughs> your wife starts saying, hey, what's <laughs> happening over there? So... Um, it became something of a passion and eventually I opened Tap Chili because Tap Chili is definitely fermented chili, but it's also a sensory literature shop where my mission is really simple, to nourish your food, body and mind by bringing the education of fermentation to every single household. You're doing workshops as well, so people can come in and learn how to do this themselves. Yeah, exactly. So my space is in El Wasl, but definitely for me, it's about sharing the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Many people know about fermentation. But not everybody wants to apply it. So what I'm doing is I'm doing weekly workshops where I share all the knowledge of fermented food. And basically, I teach about vegetable fermentation, how you make your kimchi, your hot sauce, how to apply any kind of technique to it to really ferment anything at home. Because what makes fermentation interesting is individual. You don't cook anything. You let the bacteria do the cooking. Let's talk about the hows, because how is it different to pickling? Okay, so... Um, the reason why I really launched Tap Chili was that um, today, uh, when you, if you look at hot sauces, most of them have vinegars, right? They have a recipe where people create them and they have great flavor. Mm-hmm. But once you put vinegar, and remember, vinegar is sterile. You use vinegar to kill the bacteria. So once you use vinegar in any product, you're actually promoting the shelf life, correct? But you're killing the healthy gut bacteria, which are probiotics. 
So in fermentation, you don't use vinegar. You use salt. It's a slower process. It takes more time, but it produces two things, more flavor and definitely keeps those healthy probiotics, bacteria that are beneficial for you. So how long? You said that a week, two weeks, six months. What happens in terms of the flavor profile the longer you are leaving something to ferment? So that's kind of an interesting question because, you know, uh, good things happen to those who wait. That's kind of in fermentation. So basically in fermentation, you're waiting for the bacteria really to give that flavor coming out. So for example, wine. Why do you ferment wine for a long time? Because you're waiting slowly for this aroma to build up. And same thing with vegetable fermentation. You can accelerate the process or you can control different metrics like temperature, pH to really get that flavor over time. So you can wait six months. It's going to be different than one year and it all becomes um, When a perfect you say process. different, is it stronger? Is it more sour or salty? Do you think you could tell? Yeah, so basically it depends on what you are fermenting. So for example, if you're fermenting, uh, for example, chili, whatever you put in that single jar where you're fermenting salt, it can change texture. It can change the aroma. It can become more sour, more tangy. Different kind of flavor notes will come up. So whatever you put inside is going to change that. And that's what's beautiful about it. Now you have brought in some tap chili, as you said, jar of fermented chili and a beautiful spoon, by the way, a Thank beautiful you. pottery spoon. So in this jar, and, and because we're not on Facebook Live, I'm going to describe, it's a really vibrant orange red. Um, and it's kind of a, is it a paste? Once so, you open it, talk, talk us through what is inside and what you put in to ultimately get this product. So let me share with you uh, why this love project came to be. So first of all, I bring my chili all the way from Thailand because I want them for a specific heat. Then what I do is when I ferment, you have to use salt. And I use a specific salt, flour de sel, which is the skimming of the salt pond, which is the purest kind of salt for fermenting. Eventually, in apple, it tastes different than in here in Georgia, UK. Why? Because you're paying for the soil. Mm-hmm. Every single ingredient you put can change the texture inside the flavor. I ferment for about three months, but then I go ahead, triple filter it, and extract the liquid, keep it as a paste. But what I do is I infuse with olive oil. Why olive oil? Because olive oil locks out the air, so it still ferments. So my product doesn't have vinegar, but over time, it's going to still keep fermenting. And the only way for you to lock the fermentation is to keep it in the fridge because you will lock that flavor at that specific point of time. So what am I doing with it, Maha? I'm going to take this home tonight. Yeah. And you've got to bear in mind, I am not so good with the spice. Okay, so what would this work well with? So Helen, I managed to convert my wife to eat it. So okay, I'll report back. <laughs> so report back to me. So basically what's interesting about this is that the flavor really depends on how much you put and what you put it on. Mm-hmm. That's what's interesting. So even some concepts I'm doing is introducing top chili from appetite to dessert, but all depends. Dessert? Yes, we had some few d- dishes and some pop-ups I did were quite interesting with vanilla scud. But what I'm saying is that if you put a big spoonful, it's going to be quite hot. But if you put less, less hot. But what's interesting is the flavor notes that you get throughout. And that's what fermentation brings. So it won't be one single vinegary, soury flavor, but you'll experience a plethora of flavors that you can really add in different kind of ways to your What are some of your favorite ways to incorporate it? Give us some recipe or or flavor combinations. So I want to say on everything, you know, but (laughs) eventually uh, it goes well with different kind of uh, cheeses, definitely. Uh, it goes well with some salad dressings. If you use it with salad dressing, just a teaspoon. Uh, we as well use it for different marinades and also on the side. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on what you want. As a spice lover, usually looking for heat. What's interesting about my product is that the heat is slow and steadily built. So it's delivered very slowly, like a mouthful, like a complex wine. And that's what 
brings that kind of culinary experience to fermentation. Um, a message here from um, Kelvin saying, um, read the workshops. Are they private? Are they groups? Tell so, us about the workshops. So the workshop, what I want to bring is I want to bring like-minded people to come together and really, first of all, talk about fermentation and work and really... You want to find your fellow fermenting nerds. Exactly. Like, yeah, we want to make like a laboratory, like alchemy. So, so it's got, if you come to my shop, you think it's like an alchemy session because really? I got like a breaking bad wall all of... <laughs> All of red chili over there, but my workshops are not private. You can just check out my link. They're all posted once every uh, week, and eventually anybody can come. And what's nice is that people are leaving as friends because it's kind of a cool activity to come in and you live with your creations. So you take home what you did and as well would follow up on how to ferment more things to come. So um, as you said, it's just chilies right now. Are you planning to broaden out or are you going to keep purist? So, you know, like... I want to keep purist because eventually sourdough is fermented, right? You have wine fermented, beer fermented. I really want to keep my passion to one thing, but I really, really want to share the knowledge. People ask me, why don't you make kimchi? Why don't you make sauerkraut? I can make sauerkraut and kimchi, but what if I taught you how to make your own, which is much more rewarding, mm -hmm. and plus you make your own signature one. Mm -hmm. So for now, I'm going to be a purist. Maybe later on, who knows? What do the kids make of it? Have they, have they sampled dad's uh, fermented chili? So uh, my daughter was my number one sampler and she gave approval to go live. And to Kids invest. are brutal. So they would tell you straight as well. Yeah. So my son is a naysayer. My daughter is a <laughs> yay-sayer. And uh, every time she takes a spoonful and she takes like three cups of yogurt afterwards, she would drown it down. Oh. But it's a learning process, I guess. So for anyone that wants to reach out to you, obviously, if they're, if they're in the mood to learn, to do a workshop or to come in and taste and buy and, and take home. What's the best way of getting in touch? So, Remind us again of a location. Yeah, so first of all, my location is in Al-Wasl Dar al-Wasl Mall. I'm there open everywhere, every day from 9 to 10. You've got some nice neighbours there, some good foodie spots in yeah, that mall. Yeah, correct. There is, and eventually it's kind of convenient for uh, people to walk in and to see it. And the reason why I opened this shop, uh, Helen, is because I want people to see with transparency everything I'm doing. All my ingredients, all my processes there, but the only thing is time. So you learn that with time, you can make your own chili, your own kimchi, and it's going to be a signature thing. Um, message from Gali saying, how to get in touch with the chili company? Um, super simple. Um, it is exactly what it says on the box, tabchili.com. You can send me the chili emoji. You can send me the word chili. I'd be very happy to send over the links. You can check, check you out. You off to the shop now? Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, I am. <laughs> and is your wife relieved that the, uh, the science experiments are out of your home and in, uh, in the shop now? She's relieved that the shop is near the house, so she can always keep an eye on me. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will report back because okay. I have to say, I saw that and I was like, I bet that'd be really nice. Like a kind of manchego cheese, a little kind of biscuit. Yeah. But I love the idea of, could you use it in cooking? Could you stir it into yes, sauces you can. as well? And I, can, I have my recipes as well on the website, so you can check them out and I can send them to you. Definitely. It's very versatile. Ma, thank you so much for your time. And indeed, the generous gift. I'll report back if I can see through my streaming eyes to type you a message. But I love the idea of a workshop and I love the idea of this mind-gut connection. So congrats on the new venture. Thank you. It sounds like it's come from a real passion and we're the ones that are enjoying the products. If you, as I said, if you want details, send me a message. Um, you just say chili. You can send me the chili emoji. Say hot, hot, hot. I will send you the link so you can head over and find out more. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8 with Spinneys. Eat well, Live well. It's Chef's Table now with Michelin Guide award-winning chef Solomon Haddad of Moonrise. It is one of Dubai's most exciting and innovative restaurants. We've recently became licensed and has got space for just 12 
diners. Chef, how are you this afternoon? I'm good. I'm great. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm really well. And I just want to say up front how much I do value your time. We know how hectic Fridays can be in the world of F&B, especially when you've got your first seating at what time? 6.30? At 6.30, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm glad you've stolen you away from the kitchen. So put your feet up. It's my pleasure, no worries. We're going to have a lovely (laughs) chat. Tell us a little bit about you, about your heritage and your background, Chef. Where are you from and where did you grow up? So um, my mom is is French and my dad is Syrian. But I was born and raised in Dubai, so I feel like the food in Moonrise really reflects all of those things. There's a lot of Dubai and then a lot of, not that much, but a good amount of my heritage as well. Um, so that's my background, essentially. So you're a third culture kid? Absolutely, 100%. Wow, that is super interesting, actually, because we think of Dubai as being quite new, I guess, on the global food scene. You know, the rest of the world just starting to set up and pay attention. We've just been talking about some of our favorite places to go in Dubai. What about you? Where were you going growing up that is perhaps still standing now, Chef? Still standing now? I don't know, the, the food scene has changed a lot. I know. Um, where am I still going that is still existing? That's or, the, um, or even some of your like, childhood favorites, any nostalgia? Do you, I don't know if you know it, there's a place called Bentoya on Sheikh Zayed Road. Yes. It's like, it's, like, it's like Dubai version of Japanese food, but it's very homey, very casual, very like mom and pop kind of, kind of restaurant. I love it so much. Yeah. Um, those are one of the shops that I've grown up eating in, and then like till now I go there. Tell Not us, a lot because I'm working. A yeah, lot. I was just about to say, like, <laughs> we, we, I'm going to ask you later about if you get the chance to actually go anywhere. But in the meantime, what impact do you think growing up in such a global city with the, so many influences had on your philosophy on food? Can you explain a I little think, bit about how, about how you view food when it's being served in a restaurant in particular? I think it, the, the entire perspective is a bit different when, when you grow up in this, in this kind of environment because... There's a lot of concepts that are at the, at the basis of like how chefs here create their, their dishes that are not the basis of in other places mm. where, you know what I mean? Like, for example, in Dubai, there's no concept of terroir when you're, when you're, when you're, when you're creating a, a menu because you're not going to be creating a menu using ingredients from a, a 30 or 100 or 500 kilometer radius because it's just not possible because, of, because we don't have the diversity of ingredients because it's a desert. Mm-hmm. So like we have to think about sourcing ingredients differently. So your entire perspective on food, how you get food and how you treat the food is completely different to how other chefs in other culinary hubs would think of food, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. You know? It really does. We're talking, talking about sustainability on the show as well. And I think, you know, you're a really good example of someone who's really plugged in to Dubai and, you know, yeah. you're someone who's really well thought of by other chefs in Dubai, um, which, which is awesome, especially given, you know, you're only in your mid-20s. Tell us a little bit about what got, what got you into cooking and I guess what some of your goals were when you first first got into the kitchen. Uh, I, I mean, what got me, I just always liked cooking. I always really um, enjoyed cooking a lot. And when I was in university, like I hated it so much and I, I was just doing it, you know, like for, for my family, because I'm like, I'm half Syrian, you know, like Arab family, you have to go to university, you have to do the, 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 the old fashioned way. Mm-hmm. And then towards the end, I snapped, I was like, this is not for me. And then I just ended up jump, trying cooking and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And so like, even, even, even then I've been cooking relatively for a sh- relatively short period of time because I started cooking full time three years ago. That's because it? I was finishing up university. Holy moly. And now you are Chef Patron, you know, at the, the helm of your own restaurant. You're 27 yes. now, is that right, Chef? I just turned 27 a month and a half ago. Oh my goodness. So tell us a little bit more about Moonrise. What do you think sets it apart? What were some of your goals in in terms of that point of difference when you started it? 
for me, one of one of the things, and, and this is not very, um, I don't know. My goal when it when it came to Moonrise was always supporting, support, 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 because I feel like, you know, Moonrise, and you were talking about sustainability, and 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 this plays a big role in that. Is my goal is to support local businesses and local suppliers to the maximum extent that I can. Um, without compromising quality. Mm-hmm. You know, like, for example, in the UAE, we have amazing tomatoes and vegetables. We actually do, and not a lot of people know that. So why am I going to get my tomatoes from, from France or, or, or from Italy, where, whereas I can get them from Al and they just taste amazing, and they're so fresh, and you're supporting local businesses, and you're spo- supporting the local economy. So this has always been my goal. It's always about supporting and representing to the extent that I can, you mm-hmm. know. So, of course, my, my, my Wagyu, my Wagyu actually comes from Jordan, but it doesn't come from the UAE because we don't have Wagyu farms in the UAE, obviously. Uh, not yet, at least. So, like, we, it's really always been about supporting the, the, the market here and the suppliers here to the maximum that we can and representing their amazing ingredients and their stories in our food. You know, like, we always have dishes where, where and, and, and sometimes people tell me, oh, you're, you're being sponsored by, by other restaurants or suppliers. I'm like, I'm not sponsored by anyone. Just I just working. want to support we have we have dishes where like we give people like access to like information about about restaurants like the dish the restaurants that inspired this dish the supplier that inspired this dish and we just want to share all of this information because we always want to push Dubai at the front and I and I feel like uh, one of the, the the main things about about Moonrise is I always say is that it's a culinary manifestation of Dubai you know and uh, I think that that that's what makes Moonrise what it is and that's yeah. what as a chef what 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 created what creates what guides me in my perspective what's created my perspective on 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 how to guide the restaurant food first ego second this is farmer's kitchen on dubai i 103.8 with spinnies eat well live well Right now, though, we're in conversation with Chef Solomon Haddad of Moonrise. It is one of Dubai's most unique and exciting restaurants. He's been acknowledged by the Michelin Guide, just 27 years old. He's at the helm at that kitchen. Two seatings, just 12 diners per seating. Why make it so petite, Chef? What's, uh, tell us a little bit about that philosophy. Um, so for, for us, honestly, we are, we are, our current, our current sorry, limit is the space. Like we would... We would ideally like to do, not, we, we love doing small volumes, so ideally mm-hmm. we would never want to do more than 20 guests at a time. Our space can't handle more than 12 because it's only 50, it's a 52 square meter uh, room. Um, but, we, but regardless, if it's 12 or even 20, we never wanted to do large quantities because we really wanted to focus on quality of service, quality, mm-hmm. quality of experience, uh, having the chance to have the chef and the owner actually speak to the guests. And I think that that creates a huge impact on the food, on the service, on the guest experience. You know, like even if there is, for example, uh, God forbid, an issue, the chef is here, I'm here, I'm here to speak with the guests to deal with it. So there's always, there's, there's always such a, 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 a big benefit to having me being present and my attention being spread among a smaller volume of mm-hmm. guests. And it also allows my staff to really like focus, as I said, on quality over quantity. It must be really interesting for you to be able to see, you know, diners' reactions in real time to your food as well. That, that must be really Absolutely. gratifying. Absolutely, 100%. So make us hungry, chef. Tell us a little bit about what's on the menu because I love the names of the dishes. It sounds like you're having a lot of fun over there. What's on the menu? So um, it, at the restaurant, basically, w- 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 the cuisine that we, we cook, I call it Dubai cuisine. There's a lot of Japanese, but it's not traditional Japanese. It's Dubai Japanese because, you know, I grew up eating, I don't know if you remember, like, I don't know if you were in Dubai maybe 15 years ago. I there was. was a restaurant called Japango, you remember Japango? Yes, there was one <laughs> ja- really close to the flagpole on on Beach yes. Road. 
Yes, yeah, and there was one in Wafi Mall and one, <laughs> one in Dera City Center. I used to go to all three. And, like, I grew up eating in those places. So, like, non-traditional Japanese food is so, like, it's, it's, like, it's like Arabic food or French food. It's like, or, or local food. It's, it's just, in, it's, in, it's almost in my blood. It's what I grew up eating. You know what I mean? So it makes so much sense for us to have Japanese influence as well as Marathi, Syrian, Lebanese, French influence. Mm-hmm. And all of those come together to create what I call Dubai cuisine. And the main criteria for, for us is that we have to represent Dubai in the story or the ingredients of the dish. That is like first and foremost. Because why would I share someone else's story? I want to share my story, you know? Um, so, for example, on the menu, we have a dish that we call khuri kebab. This is like probably like the most like succulent, also the heaviest dish because it's the final course, it's the main course. It's like Jordanian A5 short rib wagyu, which we, uh, which, we, which we slow cook and we serve with like a bunch of sauces. But it's made to taste like my favorite kebab place in Dubai, which is khuri kebab and mamza. We use the same spices and techniques that they use to create our own version of their dish, you know? That. So that's what the menu is like. Or there's like childhood classics, like the first thing I ever cooked, which was a grilled cheese sandwich. We make for the guests a grilled cheese sandwich. Uh, but like a fancy version with some amazing Parmesan and some great uh, Japanese milk bread. So, oh, Japanese milk bread. Do you know Absolutely. what? I had one of the best grilled cheese sandwiches of my life at Global Village and it was exactly that. It was Japanese milk <laughs> bread and cheese. And Japanese milk bread is amazing. Is amazing. So yeah. you're elevating. It's storytelling. Where do you go 100%. and eat for inspiration? I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of nostalgia. What about current places that you're really enjoying, Chef? Do you even get the time? I, I, I don't get the time, but I make the time. <laughs> you have to make it happen, you know. Uh, stay work extra late so that tomorrow you can have some extra time to go to a restaurant. Um, restaurants that I'm currently enjoying so much. I love Tristan Studio so much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a modern Indian cuisine, and it's a tasting menu restaurant, much like us. Um, they actually got a Michelin star last year. It's absolutely amazing. Um, I love Orfali Bros. I love Oceano. Um, a lot... Let's see. What else is there? But then there's Those also a lot of... Very you know, like, good ones. <laughs> absolutely. But then, you know, there's also a lot of, like, low-key restaurants, which I think are absolutely amazing. Like Khuri Kebab. Like the... the Like, yeah, like Khuri Kebab. You know, like just old-school... Uh, sorry, not shawarma places. Old-school kebab places that just represent the city so much mm-hmm. uh, and make amazing food. Well, you are part of that foodie community now, you know, leaving your mark. And it's an absolute honored to have a chat with you and hear a little bit about your point of view and I mean my goodness I, I don't get me wrong I love I love it when celebrity chefs come to Dubai I find it really exciting but I think even more exciting is this homegrown talent and you're such an amazing example of that Solomon so thank you for your time thank um, you absolutely we've had a message from um, from Aya saying how far in advance do you need to book so that's my final question to you and I know with just 24 spots um, it, it does get booked up when's the next it's- availability it's, it depends, honestly. Like in December, January, uh, thankfully, you know, it gets up to three weeks in advance. Mm-hmm. So like we have a lot of peace of mind. We can really focus on like working on the new menu without like thinking about business anxiety. Uh, towards the summer, of course, it, it gets a bit more quiet. So like two to three days to a week in advance. Amazing. Um, yeah. So well, that's, that's. If anyone wants the details, you can just send me the word moon and I will send you the link. But Moonrise, now licensed as well. So fantastic pairings going on. So thank you, Chef Salman. Really, really appreciate your time. Have a wonderful weekend and get back in that kitchen. Chef Salman Haddad of Moonrise. What an honour. What a guy. Just 27 years old and already winning awards and making serious, serious waves here in Dubai for that food. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinney's. Eat well, live well.
Sustainability in restaurants is a hot topic, literally. Uh, temperatures rising, food systems contributing around 34% of global greenhouse gas emissions. There is no time like the present to take action and make a positive impact on the environment by making changes in restaurants and hotels. And we've got, right now, Chef Russell Mpiazzi. He is the executive chef at Sofitel Dubai, the Obelisk, who recently won the title of Sustainability Champion of the Year. He joins us now. Congratulations, champ. Yeah, thanks so much. It was it was great to get. It was an amazing night at the Burj Al Arab. It's great to see so many well deserving winners. And yeah, we managed to pick up a, a nice little award for the team more than anything. A, a gong, a gong for the group. Um, can I ask you then? I feel like sustainability is like one of those phrases. I feel like a bit like mental health. We're, we're talking about it and hearing about it a lot more now than ever before. But the meaning can be a little bit lost. And I wondered, what does it mean to you, that sustainability? We're going to talk about what it looks like in the kitchens. But, you know, when you got your start, was there much chat about sustainability then? Look, when you first start cooking, the idea is to use as much as you can. You know, zero waste in the kitchen is not new news to chefs. It's it's, it's how we've worked, well, forever, really. You know, you want to use as much as you can, because ultimately, it's money that goes in the bin. So, you know, it's, it's, it's great that it's on everyone's agenda. It's great it's being talked about. Um, it's taken a while to get us to where we are now. And there's some real intentionality around some of the programs that I'm seeing that's going around in, in big hotel groups, big restaurants. So it's, it's, it's really cool and, and it's something that's been on, on our agenda really for the last couple of years. Uh, when I first started at the Obelisks, I wrote a, a bit of a vision and mission statement about what sustainability means because it means something to everybody. But what does it mean to, to, to our young cooks? Um, and we just spend a lot of time talking about it. And then we just started small programs before we went to, to, to big change because it's it's – it's a cultural piece. It's a behaviour piece that, that doesn't just happen overnight. You've, you've got to talk about it a lot and you've got to really explain the how and the why and, and what we're trying to achieve. And there's a, a case of educating the chefs, but also, I guess, us as diners as well. Do you think, I'm a bit worried about, about the answer here, do you think diners care about sustainability? Um, look, it depends on what they're in a the restaurant for. If you're on, on celebrating your a milestone anniversary or no, a birthday really. party, then, then perhaps not. But what we're seeing in, 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 in travel, and, and especially with hotel guests in general, they're making informed choices about hotels they stay in who are really trying to do the right thing. So mm. it's definitely on the agenda. Is it on everyone's day-to-day dining out agenda? Perhaps not. But I think the more we talk about it, I think the, the penny will drop at some point and it is starting to get some real traction. I mean, I'm happy to, to you know, be honest and be like, it's a nice to have for me if a, if a restaurant oh. is, you know, it, but it is. It, <laughs> it wouldn't be, I wouldn't be like, oh, I can't wait to go to that restaurant because it's so sustainable. I'm like, no, I want food first. I want atmosphere. And if they are, you know, I can go there with a kind of a clear conscience. I'm like, that's a really nice bonus. But that's why I think it's really important for the push to be coming from the restaurant side to say, we're not compromising on flavour and, and taste. No, absolutely. Listen, you, 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 you hit the nail on the head there. You, chefs have a massive responsibility for the content that we create and the choices we make and the ingredients and the menu mixes we put together. You know, if, if we're going to design a menu that's 80% protein-based, clearly that's the wrong thing to do. So it's kind of moving away from those heavy meat dishes. And at some point in the future, I see in, in my head and how we're working back at, back at base camp is that, that perhaps meat should be the garnish. So we're using better quality mm. um, Obviously, there's a price point to it, but we're using alternative vegetable proteins, which are just as delicious. Let's talk about what's been happening there, but maybe more behind the scenes. Have there been some big, small changes in the kitchen that diners might not even be aware of with sustainability at the fore? Um, yeah, look, we, we've been plugging away for the last couple of years. Um, and obviously, food waste has been, been on my mind for a, for a very long time. It's always been part of ingrained in my training and background. So, you know... Making the right decisions, doing the right thing is something we talk about a hell of a lot. And, it, and it's great to see that 
you know, our young chefs are really making conscious efforts to making sure they're using the right bin. Like segregation for me is, is, is important. You can't have a, a, a proper program in place without starting with the basics first. So, well, that's when, exactly. You can't improve what you can't measure. Exactly. So we do measure now. And again, that took a while to, to get through because it was it's alien. You know, all of a sudden, chef's asking me to weigh what goes in the bin. Um, and again, historically, that hasn't happened. But what we do is it's, it's a very user-friendly system. And the more you overcomplicate over things, the less buy-in you're going to get. So mm-hmm. the idea is to make it as super simple, but then share the baseline with the team and understand where we're at and where we can make small changes, very small changes, but have maximum impact. Let's talk ingredients, sourcing, growing. What, uh, what changes have been made or what, what adjustments are you kind of leaning towards with that in mind? Well, look, I've been lucky enough to, to live in the region for, for, for many years. So understanding the, the, the value and importance of, of working with local farms has, has been kind of second nature for me over and the it's years. it's changed so much, hasn't it? And it's, it's awesome, you know, especially when young chefs come overseas to Dubai for the first time. They're very much ingrained in... in using San Manzano Italian tomatoes, which are amazing, by the way. But you know what? Green Heart Organic, Green Heart Organic Farms have just as good, pure harvest, stunning tomatoes. And it's an education prog- process of, of young chefs coming because there's amazing talent in the city now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the fact that the, the local produce story is out there so much. And my advice to, to any young chef or even consumers, really try and keep an eye out for the, for the local products in the supermarket because it's everywhere and it tastes amazing. There's no point in having a great food story if it doesn't taste any good. Absolutely. Um, what about some of the dishes that we can see these efforts in, Chef? Where, where are you kind of showcasing some of these philosophies? Everywhere. All of our restaurants have, have really great plant-based vegetable dishes. Um, you know, we have an amazing coronation cauliflower dish in, in the Nile. How is, very apt. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> Do you know what? I don't back myself on much on the food front, but I make a really good coronation chicken. So try, try with cauliflower. Maybe. Tell us about your sauce. Come on, I want to hear, hear so the secret we, we, sauce. So again, we, again uh, when it's in season, we use uh, organic cauliflowers from, from Green Heart Organics. I've just finished now. So, um, But we poach it in, in a beautiful, a light turmeric and madras curry stock. Um, and then we finish it on the Joss, but a lovely smoky flavour, and we make a beautiful apricot chutney with little, little mild spices running through there, and we finish with pomegranates and toasted almonds, and that. Ooh, yeah, it's delicious. It might be matter. Usman's saying, what is he talking about? Meat as a garnish? Blasphemy. <laughs> well, listen, at some point, you've got you to gotta try it. You know, we was at the, lucky enough to be invited to the, to the British Embassy last night where we did a beautiful um, celebration of UAE vegetables, and, and there's one dish that, 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 we, that really went down was our carrot dish, um, which we call ugly beautiful. These carrots come out of the sound, out of the sand, and when they come out of the sand, they make this most amazing crack. And until you've done it, it, it it's as a, as a chef, it, sad it sounds. I find it super exciting when you pull something out of the ground, and the noise it makes is stunning. But these carrots are are, are really ugly, but they taste stunning. Um, and we do a a beautiful gaff tree honey and sherry vinegar caramel to dress it, and then we work with um, there's a there's a goat's cheese that we get from Abu Dhabi from the Zaid Hire organization, which is which is stunning. Uh, and we use the carrot tops to make a beautiful pesto, um, and that was a, a real hit last night. It, it was the it was the one that everyone was talking about. So there you go. You need to don't don't knock it till you've tried it. Exactly. Um, can I ask then about the responsibility of the diner when it comes to ordering, over ordering, um, taking things home? Anything that we can be making changes on? I think just just order what you think you're going to eat. You can always order more. You know, I think brunch is a big a big problem when it comes to over-ordering. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I'm conscious of when we, when we go out as a family. That, that we can always order more. You know, that's the reality. You can always order more. Start with two or three dishes to share if you're still hungry. 
order some more. You know, lunch is not a five-minute thing. It's there to be enjoyed. It should be a, a leisurely time, especially at the weekends. Um, you know, so, so don't order too much. You know, it's, uh, it's start with that. And what about at home as a family man? Are the things that you're doing, you know, whether it's composting or planning, things like that, that we could take a leaf out of your book in terms of doing our piece when it comes to food wastage? So, look, we stopped the weekly shop. You know, again, that's something that's historically ingrained in us. As we see now, the big shop. You know, as 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 families, it's something that that I know my family's done for years, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one. But what you find is when you get to the end of four or five days, there's stuff in the fridge that's not even touched. Um, in which case, that's what the freezer's for. So use your freezer, embrace the freezer. Um, and look, get the kids involved as well, because that's super important. They need to understand that, A, there's a value to it, mm-hmm. and how to store things properly. You know, put a lid on things, cover things properly. And it just extends shelf life a little bit more. If we were going to come down to your hotel, Sofitel to buy the office over the weekend, you've brought in some lovely little uh, sweet treats and nibbles there. Is that from, from a new afternoon tea? What else are you excited about? Uh, well, B- Bijou New Afternoon Tea has, has been about six months in the planning. We're, al- we're, almost, wow. yeah, we're almost there with it. It's, uh, it's such an amazing product that how can you make it better? So we put some real thought pros in. The Chef Roman and the pastry team have been super busy coming up with some really, really cool ideas. So hopefully that all that will drop in mid-June. So we're excited about that. Um, Look, the Nine's doing great stuff over the weekends. We've got a great weekend program, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, ending with our Sunday roast, which is super popular. But again, it's ingredient-driven. The quality's stunning. Um, uh, Chef Guido in Tycos has just launched an omakase menu, which is delicious. I tried that the other night, uh, eight courses, and, and rolled out the restaurant. Tough job, eh? But it was, it was amazing. <laughs> um, and then on Saturday, we have uh, Chef Nicholas in Brazil Blue doing their, their picnic, which is, which is pretty cool doesn't stop does it no listen we have some fun stuff going on we have a great time i'm so lucky we've got an amazing team there and it's so great to see everybody buying into it to what we're trying to achieve when it comes to working the right way and doing the right thing so more to come more to come from you and hopefully from others following in your footsteps chef russell exec chef sofitel dubai the obelisk a champion sustainability champion you didn't i thought you'd bring in a trophy or a medal or a crown or something (laughs) (laughs) made out of vegetables no but it's really really valuable conversation and i think raising awareness yes within the industry which i know you're obviously a really big influential part of but also us as diners in terms of the changes that yeah we've all all got a part to play exactly all got a part to play chef thank you so much get back into the kitchen this is farmer's kitchen on dubai i 103.8 with spinnies eat well live well so on Farmer's Kitchen, we love introducing you to the chefs, the restaurateurs, the tastemakers, content creators, and it is always about food. There has been a special three-year campaign, which is part financed by the European Commission. It's been launched here in the UAE, and it includes social media, content creation, as well as competitions with food bloggers and journalists. It's called Nature's Pearls, and joining us now are some of those content creators taking part. Leal's with us, aka Gemini Bakes, and Suad, aka Lady Spatula. Great names. Um, and we're going to be talking <laughs> about that ingredient. Uh, Leal, the campaign is called Nature's Pearls. What's it all about? All right. So basically, it's a, it's a campaign and it's targeted towards uh, home chef, home uh, cooks and professional chefs. And it's talking all about the quality, versatility and safety of canned, of European canned legumes. What comes under that category of legumes? You say legumes so much more elegantly yeah. than the <laughs> <Thank> legumes. <laughs> what counts under that? Uh, so you've got lentils, you've got uh, uh, beans and... Uh Beans, peas, white beans, uh, red beans. So loads. uh, Mm -hmm. All sorts of things. They're all canned. They are rich source of proteins, fibers, uh, vital 
other vital elements and nutrients, and they are really practical and convenient to use. Well, we are going to be speaking to Chef Alessandro shortly to find out how he's using them in that professional kitchen. But for us home cooks, and although I think you guys are probably a few steps um, above from me, um, we're going to be talking about some recipes. Before that, though, I'd love to know, how did you get involved in this? What, what was the kind of the matchmaking process? Tell us a little bit about what happens behind the scenes. For me, it started back in uh, during Expo 2020. I was invited to one of their events there, um, and I was introduced to their um, products, their canned legumes. There was a cooking show, um, and we got to try many of the dishes where they use some of these products, and it was absolutely delicious, and I've been a fan since then. So I've been invited to a couple of more of their events, and I've been a part of their campaign since. What about you? Uh, so this is my first time, uh, you know, collaborating um, and, um, you know, we just uh, got in touch and I was obviously very interested because I saw the quality and the taste. So I thought it was a really interesting campaign to be uh, to be part of. And uh, this, you know, interview is the very first thing that I do. And Welcome. I'm looking forward <laughs> to more. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about how you describe your cooking style. What, do you have a kind of a philosophy or an aesthetic even that you put out on social media? Um, yeah. yeah, so I think we're both moms, um, and we have between the two of us six kids. Yeah. Wow! <laughs> um, and we throw mine into the mix. We've got eight now, right? Yeah. And like we're talking about many different age groups, and we're both working moms, so we have nine to five jobs, twenty four seven, always there's on a, the go. There's right? A lot of hats being so worn. canned legumes. I guess our style is quick. Easy, mm-hmm. practical, um, time-saving. And I think that's where this kind of plays a really important part in how we prepare the dishes. I think that's really key because, you know, you can have the most, you know, luxury, you know, high-end ingredients in the world. And you'd be like, okay, that's lovely to have, but that's never going to translate to my real life ever, especially as, a, you know, as working parents. So, they're, as you said, really rich source of protein and fibre and vital elements. What are we doing with them? Tell us a little bit. And, and I really like you mentioned the family factor because I said to you off air, can I sneak these into some recipes for my kids? Because they are nightmares Hmm. they hear you know vegetable and they would hide under a table tell us a little (laughs) bit about how you're working with them uh okay so for me my kids like chickpeas which is you know that really helps uh and sometimes if you don't like the vegetables that they're having we put them in a processor and we put them in like tomato sauce let's say and we whip them up literally and just put them in pasta and then they'll just uh you know enjoy it uh but for chickpeas specifically there's something called balila which is you know um levantine dish if you like and it has garlic and lemon and olive oil and salt and it's so simple so flavorful you can have it with pita bread so uh you know, I like to, you know, get them to experiment with like these Mediterranean flavors if you want. I saw a great recipe and I saved it on my Instagram reels for it was chickpeas in the air fryer to make like little kind of crispy snacks. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay. That was a trend. Yeah, yeah. it's trending now. Is it good? It's, it's quite good, especially if you add like all the different spices yeah, to it. Yeah, I'm here for it. What else has been on your I kind mean, of I've, creation list? Yeah, I think for us, especially in the Arabic and Levantine cuisine, we use these legumes quite frequently you've got hummus which uses chickpeas you've got falafel which also uses chickpeas we have a dish called mjaddara which uses lentils with some rice 
Um, we use them a lot with salads and soups and pastas and even with uh, protein-based dishes like meats and fish. So there's a whole range of ways you can use them and sneak them into the food. Do you feel like we're seeing more of a kind of a meat replacement with some of these products as well? Yes, actually, yeah. it's quite popular um, as a vegetarian and vegan alternative. Mm-hmm. We're going to be meeting the chef next. We've got in the studio this afternoon, we've got Leal and Tuad with us today talking about nature's pearls and some of the ways to cook with some of these legumes. As we said, beans and lentils. Up next, what does chef Alessandro do it in his kitchens here at Bella Restaurant in Dubai? We're going to be finding out next. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. With Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Talking ingredients now, nature's pearls, talking about the European, Italian beans and lentils, things to do with them. We've just been speaking there about home cooking. But what about in professional kitchens? Italian chef Alessandro from Bella Restaurant here in Dubai joining us live to talk about how it's translating to his kitchens. How are you, chef? How are you? Thank you to invite me. You're very welcome. Now, it's your job to make me hungry today. What are you doing with some of these legumes from Europe, Chef? You've got a recipe for us, I believe. Yes. What the idea is to, you know, to part of this campaign was just to try to see things in a different way. Usually you say legume, this kind of legume, easy to have at home and even to, to have in a restaurant. But our idea in a Bella restaurant is to try to use it in a different way usually thinking about legume as a soup or legume as a garnish. Mm-hmm. But what we do, we want to use a legume as a bite, easy with the salad to eat by your hand. Even now from Milano, we use the same idea, that you have a legume, proteins, kind of, and we can start to use it to eat by hand. That is what the idea. You come in, you have your legumes, and at the same time, you can have the salad on the top, in this case, we use a botarga, a fish proteins, to complete our dish. And on the top of that one as well is sometimes you keep some uh, um, soup of legumes. And uh, what you do, instead of keeping for the next day, you can use our recipe and you can get some bites to give it to your husband tomorrow, your friends or any person is coming to your house in a different form. This is the other day is what we want to try to do it to, you know, open the mentality or any person you can have a possibility to use even some particular leftover of your legumes in a different way chef and so i hope you yeah, yeah thank you so what are your, some of your favorites out of the range what have you been going back to time and time again in the kitchen it's like you know what we we try to do it is uh, uh, to put over ourselves in a condition of the you know, the guests, or in this case, even the people at home, to start to use some of this legume, some of this can in an easy way to mix and try to educate our uh, family, and you're, especially uh, you're, our kids. Exactly, and that's exactly it. You know, you're elevating something that's been super, super simple. Thank you, Chef. Really appreciate it. As I said, in the studio, we also have content creators, Suad and Leal, who are part of this campaign. So... I don't, want, I don't want you, it's like picking a favourite child, I know. Uh, in terms of your kind of go-tos from the range, uh, Suad, what's been your favourite that you found yourself just kind of relying on as a cupboard staple? Hands down, chickpeas. Um, my son loves hummus so much. He can have it for breakfast, lunch and dinner. So for me, the canned chickpeas are always, I've got them you know, in bulk. Tell in us my then pantry. quick hummus recipe. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> Garlic, lemon, tahini, a 
bit of yogurt. That's what I do. A couple of ice cubes. Mix it up with some salt and... That's it. Okay. I know what I'm doing tonight. What about you? <laughs> I would go for the lentils. Uh, I'd go for lentil soup. Uh, comforting, delicious, nutritious. And I like to just to put a bit of lemon uh, juice on it and have it with breadcrumbs. And it's just amazing. It's really good. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. Thank you so much. If anyone wants to follow you guys on social media, do you want to give your Instagram a shout out? Yes. So I'm Gemini Bakes on Instagram. Gemini Bakes and... Lady Spatula. Some great recipes, brilliant resources. You can see what they've been doing with Nature's Pearls and so much more really accessible cooking, as we said, for the whole family as well. Thank you, guys. Thank really you. appreciate Thank you. it. You've inspired me to get into the kitchen and whiz up maybe some hummus tonight. Thank you. Um, this is all available in Spinney's now. So if you're feeling inspired, you need to get into store. Thanks for being with us on this episode of Farmer's Kitchen. You can tune in live every single Friday afternoon between 2 and 5 on Dubai Eye 103.8.